This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. Happy Flag Day. I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. I'm Kyle Kelms. Thanks for being with us. No official heat advisories from the National Weather Service Force today. But it's still going to be hot. Temperatures this afternoon are expected to peak between 92 and 96. Heat index values could reach 101 in Fort Smith and parts of the Arkansas River Valley. So be careful. This is a busy month, Juneteenth, Pride, Bentonville Film Festival, and the Bentonville Bike Fest. At least that much. This hour, a preview of the Bike Fest. And a talk dedicated to Pride history that's taking place at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale. First, during the last week of school last month, staff and kids at Bonnie Grimes Elementary School in Rogers received some exciting news. Casey's, the convenience store chain, awarded Bonnie Grimes Elementary with $50,000 to go towards building an inclusive playground. Bonnie Grimes was one in four groups in Arkansas to receive a grant as a part of Casey's Cash for Classrooms program. I spoke to Katie Pertrude, Director of Communications, about the program and what kinds of projects they support. It's a $50,000 grant, so they were one, they were one of our few large, and it's an all-new ex- inclusive playground. We've definitely seen a lot of playground requests, either new playgrounds or um updating and upgrading playgrounds to be more inclusive to all types of students and children, which is really important. The the other thing I'd call out about um, this project is we were really drawn to the community impact as well. So this was going to change, you know, um, a few hundred lives of the children, you know, who are there the day in and day out. Um, but the, the way um, that the the school and just the town of Rogers um, is it, really going to kind of uplift uh, the experience for for kids who just come to that playground at at all different times, right? And families who use it like almost like a community park, and so um, that just you know again makes it even more meaningful and, and compelling for Casey's to get involved because we have stores right there and want to help in Rogers. If you can just tell me a little bit about the Cash for Classrooms program and. When the program started, we obviously are very present there in the Ozark region um, across Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri. And so, just really pleased to have an opportunity to share a little bit more about Casey's. I think, you know, hopefully, a lot of you know um, we're a convenience store with awesome pizza, but we also are really focused on giving back to our communities. And so that's where your, your question comes in. Um, so that's where cl- cash for classrooms comes in. Um, one thing that we find in all of our communities is that there's families and teachers and students in need. And so cash for classrooms is a program that is here to help schools as well as nonprofit organizations who you know, help education institutions like schools. So PTOs, PTAs, booster clubs, um, and even even nonprofits that maybe have a broader footprint and support, you know, multiple school districts. Those are the types of um, organizations we're giving funding to. And the Cash for Classroom grant program, just this past year, um, it's our second year, gave a million dollars again um, across our 16 states to 89 different grants. Now, what is the range of projects that the Cash for Classrooms program supports? So those, you know, those projects range from some categories that we call, um, you know, physical improvement projects. 
Um, but what's more interesting, you know, those are things like outdoor classrooms, um, gymnasium updates, um, playgrounds, right? Those things come to mind. Um, we also provide, you know, teacher development or training programs, maybe some new software. Um, we provide a community engagement um, area of grants. So things like getting kids out in the community to learn, maybe it's not right in the classroom. So even something like a field trip would be, you know, in that giving area. Um, and then just supplies. So a, a lot of library projects, right? Refreshing the library, new books, um, and even supplies like new technology. We all know smart boards and things like that are very popular in the classroom. So in this last um, I guess go around. It's been a million dollars total that's been awarded. What was the difference like from the first year it started? Similar in terms of the total amount of funding. Yeah. So the first year we um, distributed just over a million. So so right about a million dollars. Um, and the way that we're able to to give that much, you know, because that's that's a really meaningful number, um, is that our our guests in our stores. Um, as well as Casey's. And then this year, our partners at Keurig Dr. Pepper. So um, when you're drinking Dr. Pepper, think of them. Um, all of us came together to reach that 1 million mark. So our guests are you know, saying, hey, I want to round up my purchase at Casey's to help these schools with um, with grant opportunities. And so that's how we get to the million dollars. So it's a combination of Casey's our generous guests, and our partners. You guys have really hit the ground running on this one. <laughs> um, yes. It's, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think a really positive response. I think, one, um, if you're a guest shopping in our stores uh, or just in our communities, everybody knows someone that's touched by a school, right? Um, whether it's a grandchild, a teacher you know, um, you know, you have kids or, you know, students in your life yourself. So I think it just really resonates with people and there's there's need. Katie, how many schools in Arkansas received a grant? We actually um, awarded four grants in the state of Arkansas this year. One uh, close to home there is in Rogers, um, and that was for Bonnie Grimes Elementary School. Their parent-teacher organization, their PTO, actually, um, took it on this year to submit their grant and, and was awarded that grant. And then a couple other areas and there are three grants in Arkansas was um, to Prairie Grove School District, Howard Elementary School in Fort Smith, and then um, the Wolverine Band Booster Club. Um, so that was for a school, um, a band pro a project benefiting their band um, in Centerton, Arkansas. After learning about the Cash for Classrooms program, I visited Bonnie Grimes Elementary and spoke to Deborah Lewis, the principal at the school there, about how the $50,000 grant would impact kids and how they received the news. How did you get the news? So, well, in last, last summer we wrote a grant for an inclusive playground. We just had um, a lot of, we have a, several kids in, a, in wheelchairs and several on walkers and they're not able to play with their able-bodied friends. And so we wanted a playground that was for everyone in our school. And so we wrote a grant for a couple different places in our uh, PTO treasure I recepting, sent it to Casey's. And Casey's awarded us a $50,000 grant for, I think it's called their Cash for Classroom grant. 
for to help with our playground costs. It's the playground is about two hundred thousand dollars, so it's a little more than that. But uh, that you know they paid for a fourth of our playground. Yeah, I mean, how does that feel knowing that the kids? Well, it's, it's really exciting because I don't think without this grant, our school district would have helped us get it. Uh, the grant kind of pushed us over and let us uh, be, go ahead and get it faster than we thought we would. So we never dreamed we would have it this soon. And when will it be implemented? Well, because, because of materials coming in, it's going to take until, we think it'll be put in in Thanksgiving week or the week of Christmas break. We're just very appreciative of Casey's. Not only did they give us a grant, they gave everybody in the school pizza today and they sent water bottles and cinch bags for our kids. So they're all excited. That was Deborah Lewis, principal at Bonnie Grimes Elementary and Katie Pertrude, director of communications for Casey's. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. News is now instantaneous and new sources are popping up every day. Social media shouts the latest headlines, subscription services send flash news to your phone. But even in this instant messaging world, you still tune to 91.3 for the quality reporting that gives you the insights on the world around you. This reporting comes with a price. The most significant source of funding for the reporting you hear on KUAF comes from listeners just like you. So please support the news on KUAF during our June fundraising month. It takes just a couple of minutes when you give online at supportkuaf.com. This is Ozarks at Large, a program on the history of pride and the LGBTQ plus equality movement in Arkansas will be presented by Michael Bennett Spears at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History tomorrow, Wednesday evening. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Michael Bennett Spears is program director for the Equality Crew, a nonprofit organization benefiting LGBTQ plus youth in Northwest Arkansas. The native Arkansan who resides in Salem Springs with his husband was the first open LGBTQ plus candidate to run for Arkansas state representative in 2020. He also serves as Northwest Arkansas chair of the Arkansas Stonewall Democratic Caucus. When I first recognized the importance of LGBTQ plus people in politics was in 2015 when I found myself working with the For Fayetteville campaign on the anti-discrimination ordinance in Fayetteville. And that was when I started to realize that there was a lot of work to do still, um, despite the fact that we view the civil rights movement as something that happened long ago and is done, it's still very much so active today. And that it's imperative that we do that work. His program tomorrow at the Shiloh Museum on LGBTQ plus pride history will examine such politics in context of pride gatherings in Arkansas, as well as trace back to mid 20th century gay and lesbian political organizing in the U.S., Defining pride is difficult to some degree because it means so many different things for so many people. But ultimately, for me personally, what pride means is the celebration of who we are. You know, pride is that one time where LGBTQ plus people come together and openly express their joy and their celebration of who they are. And I think that relates back to the constant theme of pride is always a protest. And in such a way of it's a protest simply existing openly for LGBTQ plus people. And that's really, you know, 
a quick and easy definition of it is that celebration of who we are and the inherent protest of we will express joy despite all the attempts to push the LGBTQ plus community down. The number of Americans age 13 and older who identify as LGBTQ plus number 13 million, according to the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law, Just 3% of Arkansans age 18 and over, or 90,000 residents, identify as LGBTQ+, among the lowest such population in the country. While same-sex Americans are able to legally marry, the Equality Act, which would outlaw discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity nationwide, remains embattled in Congress. And in 2022 alone, more than 300 bills were introduced or passed in 36 states, including Arkansas, to restrict the rights of LGBTQ plus Americans pushed by religious conservative lawmakers. But pride is now widely acknowledged and celebrated across the U.S., as well as in Arkansas. Yeah, you know, I think it's phenomenal the way pride has evolved. You know, when it first started, pride was something that only existed in major metropolitan areas in New York, L.A., San Francisco, you know, that kind of thing. And we actually, you know, our first pride in Arkansas um, that I can find was in 2004. I believe. And then Fayetteville was in 2005. And I think that Fayetteville, Northwest Arkansas Pride is a very good case to kind of show where we've come, because I often joke that I remember when NWA Pride was, you know, a dozen gays on a street corner. Um, And now we're looking at last year, we had over 25,000 people come. The first Pride in Little Rock, however, didn't occur until 2013. That's a really sobering thing to think about when you realize that it was literally 2013 before we had a pride in Little Rock when the first one was 52 years ago this year. And I think it's, you know, and this is where I think that that talk about history becomes important because you have to lay out that particularly in times like this, where it's so tumultuous and the world is very scary, particularly for trans people that it takes time. And, but we always win in the end. We always get there. Even Siloam Springs, a conservative rural town on the Oklahoma border, hosts an annual pride. Being resident of that community, Bennett Spears serves on the organizing committee. Siloam Pride, that really has this wonderful small town festival kind of vibe to it. You know, you come to Siloam Pride and There are kids running around blowing bubbles and getting their face painted. But Bennett Spears will also talk about countervailing forces, which continue to show up to Pride events, including what he witnessed in Conway. That Pride, the morning before that event, that march, someone spread manure along the streets of Conway, along the entire parade route in protest of it happening. Well, instead, the city got it cleaned up. We still marched on those streets. The individual who did that got a massive fine. We won. We still had our event. We still celebrated. I then got to spend that entire pride standing with a group of drag queens blocking protesters. 
You can hear more Pride history and anecdotes tomorrow, Wednesday evening at 6.30, when Michael Bennett Spears delivers a program on this subject at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in downtown Springdale. The program's free. Registration is required, however, to stream the talk. Search events on shilohmuseum.org for those details. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The Bentonville Bike Fest begins Friday, and it will include races, rides, stunts, movies, art, conversations about bikes and cycling, a scavenger hunt, movies about cycling, and plenty of chances to buy a bike or that accessory for your bike. The festival is under the direction of Kenny Belay, a multiple trial bike world champion. He's made Bentonville his U.S. base camp of operations, and this weekend that base camp means inviting thousands of people to do all things cycling. Yesterday afternoon, we caught up with Kenny for just a few minutes to ask what it's like just a few days before the official opening ceremony takes place early Friday afternoon. It's it's a madhouse. It's uh, vendors are coming in. They're calling. The last minute questions, uh, like emails, hundred, two hundred emails a day, Zoom calls. Um, yeah, it's uh, just uh, there's no schedule anymore. It's just do whatever you can do, and then you're still haven't done 10% of it. <laughs> you say there's no schedule anymore, but we do have a schedule for once the festival gets started. And it seems like if you like to be on two wheels, there's just about something for everybody. Yes, exactly. So this is what the bike fest is all about. We celebrate the whole bike, bike culture here. We have a lot of kids on bikes, adults, racing workshops. Uh, it's not only a doing um, experience. It's also like Seeing. So we bring in a lot of pro riders, over 35 pro riders from all over the world, and they're going to perform like the best tricks, crazy tricks. Um, we have UCI sanctioned competitions, which is like BMX Flatland, which is kind of a break dancing on a bike. And we also have a trials competition. So that's what I'm doing. So it's don't, don't confuse, be confused with trails. It's trials. So it's T-R-I-A-L-S, which is like uh, comes from trial and error where you have to go over obstacles, um, eight foot, 10 foot, 16 foot high, um, boulders, rocks, blocks, name it. And you cannot put your foot down. So very spectacular. It's a sport that's very popular in Europe. And we're like actually replanting the seed in the US um, and right here in Bentonville to make it bigger and popular again here. So we have a lot of things happening. I don't mind the trial in trial and error, but when you're doing these sorts of things, the error is what would uh, would give me pause. Yeah, me too. Sometimes. <laughs> Where can I know the? There will be all sorts of different things going on. Where can people see some of these demonstrations and some of these competitions? Yeah, so if you want to see most of the action, you just got to come to the main festival area. That's how we call it. That's right next to Eighth Street Market, and that's where all the festival, all the uh, action is happening. That's where the you can actually see it on Southeast J Street. There's a big dirt line here, and the the guys have been building that for three weeks already, every single day. So they're just making it into perfection, and that's where you're gonna see uh, the best BMX riders and mountain bike uh, free ride riders jump over those uh, big hills. So very exciting. It's a watch and learn sort of festival because there are a number of sessions where you're going to hear tips from the pros or one that says learn how to jump. What happens in learn how to jump? Yeah, so we have those style it up workshops. Those are all sold out already. So just like if imagine you go to a music festival, we want to we want to be a festival where you go to meet your 
favorite pro that you can only see on YouTube. And then you can actually not only meet them, you can actually jump on a, on a group ride with them or get some uh, tips and tricks from them. And uh, that's what we're doing with the uh, style up workshops at Kohler. We bring in like Carson Storch, Cal Strait, Bernard Kerr. I mean, these guys are like legends um, in their sport and people signed up to go there and on the trails and learn how to be better on a bike. There are also going to be some attempts at world records. Yes, exactly. So we have an official Guinness World Record attempt. And that's, um, yeah, it's quite spectacular. Um, it demands a lot of physical strength. And it's basically, you imagine a square box that keeps going higher and higher and higher. And there's no ramps or anything in front of it. And the box will go up to as high as a, a door almost, like in your living room. That's how high the box will be. And uh, the athlete, the trial biker, will go up that obstacle to the top um, like in two goes. So he will hook the front wheel on top of it. The back wheel will be against it. And then from the impact, he will jump up and put his back wheel all the way to the top and land on the back wheel. So, yeah, you have to see it to believe it. It's unbelievable. It's over eight feet, feet high, no ramps, no supports, just man-powered jumping up with a bike and get up there eight feet high. So let me see if I have this visually correct. The athlete is on her or his bike, and then they, through sheer physical power, hook the front wheel up on this box, however high it is at the time. Then using the momentum from doing that, they flip and put the entire bike on top. Exactly. Exactly. Just paddle supported, manpower supported, no nothing, no jumps, no ramps. So, yeah, it's it's really – this was uh, one of the moves that in competition I was really – wasn't my, my strongest point. So uh, I'm glad that um, now I can produce the event for others and they can do it. <laughs> and what is the, the current world record? Do we know? It's 179 centimeters. And it's um, – the guys that I'm bringing in, like Jack Carty, for example, from the UK, he can easily go up to two, two meters. So he can – but – Everything has to be right, and I think. Um, but still, you got to see it to believe it. It's it's just ridiculous how high he goes. There'll also be vendors, right? There'll be um, for the the bicyclist. Whether you're really good at these sorts of things, or just maybe you're stunt curious, or you're just sort of a Sunday afternoon peddler, there will be things for you at this uh, festival. Oh yeah, for everybody. You can your kids can try out bikes on the pump track. You're you can dad can grab a bike from our i think there's 20 brands coming with demo bikes like uh, yt specialized giant they're all bringing demo bikes you can just bring your helmet grab a demo bike sign a waiver and go ride on the trails see if you like it maybe you purchase it maybe you don't there'll be live bands music we have um lots of things happening really and there's like 150 vendors so by the time you visit every stall and really be you know impressed by all the things that are available in the, in the bicycle industry um, from bike racks to even guiding services to we have it all here all right what do we have to do to take part in this well if you just want to visit the festival um, you just show up park your car on one of our designated uh, parking area parking areas 
and then walk in it's free and then you just uh, show up if you want to if you know what um, i mean if you want to race you want to attend the workshop or you want to do the enduro or you still want to do the grand fondo which is a road event it's a 60 67 mile loop then you might have to go to the website hit the sign up now button and then pay for your entry fee um to to ride or race but if you just want to have a great afternoon out we even have a scavenger hunt for families so yeah that's at the one of our sponsors bell helmet they have a scavenger hunt uh, set up and you can just sign up it's free it's on the website as well and then uh, you just take part of it and you can go uh, all over town and yeah grab find whatever you can find and win prizes and you mentioned enduro there's one for younger riders as well as for adults Exactly. So for the first time here in Bentonville, we are doing a kids enduro for like the six to uh, 13 year old ones. And that's a, that's a, that's a like, first time we do it. And yeah, that's very exciting. You just want to, you just want to go to a slaughter pen and just see how these kids uh, go from one stage to the other with uh, body packs. So really exciting. Kenny Belay is the director of this weekend's Bentonville bike fest. The first event is an 11 o'clock ride Friday morning sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce. The official opening is Friday afternoon at 1. You can find out more about the festival and look at the festival's complete schedule at BentonvilleBikeFest.com. Kenny spoke with us yesterday afternoon. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is giving away five pairs of tickets to Fitz and the Tantrums co-headlining with St. Paul and the Broken Bones at the Walmart Amp Thursday, June 23rd. KUAF.com for more information and to enter the giveaway. The winners will be announced Thursday, June 23rd during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. And the Northwest Arkansas Naturals host the Arkansas Travelers this week at Arvest Ballpark in Springdale. Ticket and promotional information are available online at nwanaturals.com. Next Tuesday, June 21st, is the date for the runoff elections across the state of Arkansas. Natural Election released a new episode today to discuss the upcoming elections and explain some of the confusing elements of the process. Jennifer Price is the executive director of the Washington County Elections Commission, and she says runoff elections don't always follow primary elections. They are triggered by results from the previous election. So the runoff election that's happening on June 21st is triggered when uh, you have three or more candidates who are running um, for office in the primary election and not and you don't have a single candidate that gets 50 percent plus one. So that triggers a runoff. Price says that even if you didn't vote in the primary election, that doesn't disqualify you from voting in the runoff election. Every runoff in the KUAF listening area is for the Republican Party candidates, including in Washington County, where Price works. So for this runoff election, it is a Republican runoff election. So the voters who are eligible to vote is anyone who voted a Republican ballot for the May 24th election, a nonpartisan ballot, or did not even vote at all. All of those individuals are eligible to vote in this June 21st election. Now, if you uh, took a Democratic ballot, you are not eligible to vote in the June 21st election. You can hear more about runoff election, plus a deep dive into recreational marijuana and whether or not there will be a measure on the November ballot to legalize it in Arkansas. Natural Election is a production of KUAF Public Radio and Ozarks at Large. Hi, I'm Aisha Roscoe from NPR's Weekend Edition. The voices, the stories, the lives of your friends, your neighbors, as well as those you don't know, can be heard on KUAF Public Radio every day.
and your voice matters too. We want to hear from you using KUAF Connect. Just get the KUAF app for iPhone, click the connect button, and leave your message for the KUAF community or call 479-575-6577. At KUAF Public Radio, your voice matters. For more information, go to KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. With me is Catherine Charles, our militant grammarian. Yep, here I am. Yes. Kyle Inigo Montoya pointed out in The Princess Bride, quote, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yes. <laughs> That's not the quote everybody remembers. Right, right. But evidently, he really did say that. Yes. <laughs> Come to find out we're all guilty of using words without realizing we're using them totally wrong. Oh, boy. So here are a few that Word Genius identified. Kyle, what does myriad mean? I want to say, so I will say, that <laughs> myriad means um, a variety. Yeah, well, I guess it means many things. Okay, I guess yes. you could have a myriad. Yes. Same thing. I have I a myriad know. of reasons for being hesitant about the next few minutes <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and you just... Uh, perform the error there are myriad ways i don't know right okay that's that's it i have yes i I have heard this i have myriad concerns about this right you don't need the of myriad of whatever you don't need the preposition right myriad yes yeah it's it's both a noun Mm -hmm. and an adjective that refers to many things um the misuse is that myriad gets the job done all on its own uh, there can, are myriad reasons. Right. Myriad okay. candidates, myriad dining options, and all that. Gotcha. Okay. Kyle, what about moot, M-O-O-T? Um, the point is moot. So it's, it, it's irrelevant. It it's, uh, no longer matters. And no longer debatable. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's different. Mm-hmm. Not really. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, I guess. The original definition of moot, according to Oxford English Dictionary, was, quote, a meeting, an assembly of people, especially one for judicial or legislative purposes, which is kind of removed from what we think, except in law school. Right. The word has evolved to mean two downright opposing things on either side of the Atlantic. In the U.S., a moot point simply refers to something not worth debating, But if you use the same word overseas, it refers to things that are open to argument, debatable or uncertain. Really? Yeah. So just be careful if you're making an international call. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) To further complicate things, the original judicial ties of the word moot live on as U.S. law students take part in moot court, a simulation court. Right. Kyle, if I say you are infamous around here, is that a compliment? Not at all. (laughs) I actually had a recent interview with someone who was talking about a speaker who was coming, and they said this speaker was infamous. I don't (laughs) think they meant that, but I didn't know the speaker, so maybe the speaker, like, throws tantrums or something. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of our discussion of penultimate. Right, right. Um, The word actually means being famous, but for the wrong reasons. Vlad the Impaler was infamous. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's why you'll often hear infamous tagged onto the names of notorious criminals or villains, and sometimes celebrities famously like Charlie Sheen. Now, for the word that's probably the most misused among these, 
Kyle, would you have trouble with my grammar if I said it was ironic that we had so much cold weather in April? That's not ironic, right? No, that's coincidental or unusual. Very good, very good. Um, musician Alanis Morissette, yes. uh, you know about this, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was famously grammar-shamed for her iconic 1990s hit, Ironic, wherein all of the so-called examples of irony in her song lyrics were actually just unfortunate happenings. Rain on your wedding day. Mm-hmm. That's not irony. Mm-mm, mm-mm. There's nothing ironic about it. Maybe if you are a weatherman. Well, that's true. You know, maybe. That's true. Maybe. I mean, that's, I even, that's you, a stretch. Or your name was Sunshine. Yeah. Something like that, right. Irony refers to being the opposite of what you'd expect. It's not just coincidence or bad luck. It's more closely related to the subversion of expectations. Right. For example, a fire station burning down is an example of irony. Yes. Yeah. And, of course, as it is a language term, linguists have identified more than one type of irony. Hmm. Here are the three types of irony in the literary genre. Ooh. Verbal irony. Verbal irony is when a character says something that is different from what they really mean or what they really feel. What other term does that sound like? It sounds like sarcasm Mm -hmm. The intent, if the intent of the irony is to mock, it's sarcasm. But you could be doing it more offhandedly, not intended, and then it's just verbal irony. Just like, you know, well... it's like, um, boy. Oh, I sure hope it rains. Yeah, that kind of thing. That's okay. not meant to mock anything. Ah, right. Except maybe the weather. Right. <laughs> um, Socratic irony is a type of verbal, verbal irony. So we're going an, okay. a step deeper, where a person feigns ignorance to entice someone else to make claims that can then be argued with. Oh, help me out here. Oh, my husband loves to do this. <laughs> He'll sit at the poker table and ask players how the World Series is going, knowing that it's basketball season. Another type of irony is situational irony. Can you come up with a situational irony, Kyle? Let's say I'm being called up on stage to receive uh, an award for my incredible dancing, and I fall off the stage getting to the lectern. <laughs> yes. That would be situation. Situation, irony. right. Yes. It occurs when there's a difference between what is expected to happen, you get up there and dance so well, and what actually happens, you mm-hmm. fall off the stage. Uh, the example of a fire station burning down is situational. Sure, right. mm-hmm. Finally, there's dramatic irony. <laughs> oh, I'm scared of this. <laughs> well, it's pretty easy. Is it in a drama? Oh. Yeah. Dramatic. <clears throat> this type of irony involves an audience. Oh, well, I was going to say, oh, Henry. Like, I Gift think, of the oh, Magi. That's an audience okay. reading. Okay. Yeah, sure. Gift of the Magi. Uh, yeah. Just about. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that, I think that's where we all learned what irony was. Yeah. 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 Um, can you think of something dramatic that might be ironic other than you just did? But uh, <laughs> can you. Um. I've, I've got some okay. examples. You, you came up with an excellent one. Uh, dramatic irony is when the audience knows more than the characters. Oh, so the end of Romeo and Juliet. Absolutely. Just exactly like that. And like knowing Hamlet is only pretending to be insane. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 The characters' actions have a different meaning for them than they do for the audience, which creates tension and suspense. When used in tragedies, dramatic irony is referred to as tragic irony. Oh, I like that. Okay. Quick quiz. Okay. 
if a police officer were conducting a gun safety course and accidentally shot himself in the foot oh. during class? Situation. Yep. Romeo and Juliet. Dramatic. Mm-hmm. And something I can imagine you're saying, you're walking in the April snow and exclaim, what nice weather we're having. <laughs> that is A, hell, the snow in April, and B, that would be verbal. Right. Irony. And why are you not making a sarcastic remark? Well, I'm not mocking anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it wasn't intended to harm right. or mock. Yeah. A marriage counselor files for divorce. Situational. Mm-hmm. In The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, now don't jump to any conclusions, Mm -hmm. Dorothy and her friends search for external forces to help them get what they need, but discover that they always had what they needed. Well, that's from, well, because he had the brain, he had the heart, Mm -hmm. he had courage, Mm -hmm. so that would be... But we didn't know that. Mm, That's right. So it's not dramatic. That's right. Um, we certainly didn't know the lion had courage. Um, so then it would be situational. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I like Very that. good. I like and that. I really liked that example when I saw it because I thought, well, if I start with w- Wonderful Wizard of Oz, you're immediately going to think it's dramatic, right? right? Also, Toto pulling, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. Toto <laughs> pulling. For those the, of you 80 years old and haven't seen it. <laughs> I just want the person I love the most to know I'm not telling the story. Um, Not everybody sees this movie as a child. Uh, When Toto pulls back the curtain and reveals that the wizard can't control anything, that too is situational irony, right? Let's see. Yeah, well, let's see. Because the the audience doesn't know it. Right. That's right. Yeah, no, it's a Mm -hmm. shock. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it's ironic. Well, he's the wizard who can do anything. He's the Grand Wizard of Oz. And it turns out he can't do Okay, if if it really is clear he can't do anything, that's that's irony. But if it's just somebody pretending to be the wizard, I don't know that that's ironic. And really, he can do something because he convinces them that uh-huh. they have the thing. So, I think it's not ironic. Forget that example. <laughs> but it's a good try. Yes. Um, okay, Kyle, I, I guess there are a myriad ways to misuse the term <laughs> ironic. Our Milton grammarian is Catherine Geralds. Alanis Morissette from 27 Summers Ago with the song Ironic. This is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow on our show, highlights from the live recording of the KUAF podcast Undisciplined that took place on the campus of Northwest Arkansas Community College this past Saturday. Plus, we get an early start on the calendar with our first selection of summer reading lists from an area independent bookstores. That's on tomorrow's edition of Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents The Dirty South, Contemporary Art, Material Culture, and the Sonic Impulse, a celebration and exploration of Southern Black culture from the past 100 years. This nationally recognized exhibition presents visual art, textiles, and sound components to exhibit the persistence of power through expression. Open through July 25th, crystalbridges.org for tickets. This is Ozarks at Large. Before the pandemic, many employers in the United States were short on staff. The past two years have just exacerbated that shortage. Jeff Korzenik, a chief commercial strategist for one of the country's largest banks, has a partial solution. 
reduce some of the barriers for hiring people with criminal records. His new book, Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business and the Community, explores options. He says the idea is gaining traction. The CEO of Kroger Stores, the one of the largest employers in the United States, the grocery store chain, they operate under very uh, many different brand names, but they have 500,000 employees. A few years ago, they started a trial program in their headquarters city of Cincinnati. It's been so successful that they have uh, are spreading it to the rest of the country. CEO endorsed my book. Uh, they're a member of this uh, What's very exciting to me is there's this new group called the Second Chance Business Coalition, and they're working with prestigious existing groups like the Business Roundtable to promote this. And you have some absolutely blue chip names in America that are part of this coalition. Some of them have not yet started doing this, but they're all committed to trials and data sharing. And that's a very good development and much better than some of the pledges of the past, which showed intention, but there wasn't the follow through. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because there's this sort of uh, big heart or good nature idea, good intentions that we have heard about off and on for for decades, really, to hire people who have, for whatever reason, have served their time or done what they were, the courts have said they were to do. But that hasn't translated necessarily into action. And why is that? Well, I've looked at this with a business person's uh, perspective, and in the business world, we're all about incentives. And what would happen in the past would be a CEO would be asked to sign a pledge. They would sign the pledge because they believe in this quality of opportunity. They would ask their HR leader, do we have a fair process? They would say, yes, we examine everyone on an individual basis. Here's the problem the person who makes the decision has very little career incentive to ever say yes. Because if you are, typically what happens is if someone has a criminal background, A, they might their resume might be pushed to the bottom. Or in say a band the box state where you can't ask up front and you have to make a job offer conditional on a background check, the person who reviews that criminal record might think to themselves, consciously or subconsciously, if I say yes and it's a good hire, everyone says that's your job, good hires. If I say yes and it turns into a bad hire, fingers are going to point. And so what's been needed is an examination of the process. And that's just one example of where the process goes wrong. People with criminal records are so used to rejection that if they see a box being asked for, they may not even apply for the job. If they uh, look for job listings on any of the major job posting sites, they may have had such negative responses. I've, I've talked to people who've been rejected time and time again, who are really quite qualified, uh, but they get so discouraged. So I tell employers the starting point, and there's many steps along the way, but the starting point is, where are you advertising your openings? And there are now specialty job boards which are focused on communicating with the community of people with criminal records. Uh, Honestjobs.co is a very prominent one. 70 million jobs is another one. You, you start by signaling that someone who is applying with a record has a real shot and will be given fair consideration. And then you change your process to make sure that's actually true. 19 million Americans with uh, felony conviction convictions. Uh, it's in the title of the book. How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business and the Community. We've talked a bit about how businesses can benefit. 
Let's talk a little bit about how community can benefit if there are millions of Americans looking to better their lives with jobs. You know, as someone who researches economic interest in their communities and the prosperity of their communities. Um, no disrespect to large company CEOs, for instance, but they're almost citizens of the world when you get up to you know, the top couple of banks in the country, the top couple of uh, consumer product co uh, companies. Um, small and mid-sized businesses have, done a, have been leading the way in this and they're really important parts of the economy. You mentioned you're a man on a mission, why? Um, I'm the son and grandson of immigrants. For uh, me, this country and for my family has been a land of opportunity. I think everyone should have that opportunity. I'm also a father of young men and I'm not so old that I don't remember how young men make mistakes. Um, obviously young women do as well, but we know neurologically male brains mature much later and uh, young men are prone to make errors of judgment. And so I'm very sensitive to the fact that you can make mistakes when you're young and you can get caught. And some of those mistakes are quite serious and do need to have consequences, but everyone should have an opportunity to be the best human being they can be and, and, found, and employment is foundational to that. At the same time, uh, my day job is as a banker, and I have had the privilege of working with these just wonderful, typically multi-generational family-owned companies. And these are people who work really hard to build up opportunities for their workforce. They're running out of workers today. They need a solution to this labor shortage. So for me, it's giving opportunity to young people and giving the chance for people to rebuild their lives, but it's also supporting these wonderful businesses that are in a, a critical part of our economy. There might be some people listening to this saying, well, aren't there, you know, nonprofits or, or government agencies that can help through a halfway house or rehabilitation or, you know, to avoid recidivism? Can't they take care of this instead of, you know, the private sector? At the end of the day, it's got to be the private sector because for the most part, that's where the jobs are. And we do know uh, uh, that employment is foundational to rehabilitation. It may not be the only thing you need, but it is the necessary condition in most cases. And that's got to be a private sector responsibility in concert with government and nonprofits. And government and nonprofits are also employers and have a role to play, but they're simply not as large as the private sector. Mentorship is, 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 a, is a possibility here. You mentioned young men and the majority of you know, felons in America, those felonies were committed when men were young. There is a role of, for mentorship in this whole process. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I tell the business owners is it may have nothing to do with the criminal record, it may simply be that these applicants have no history of real employment in their families, in their community. They don't have mentors. So some of the accommodations that, that are required to make this a successful business proposition are needed not because people committed a crime 10 or 20 years ago. It's because people were raised without the kind of mentorship we take for granted, how to dress appropriately, how to interact with a supervisor, how to accept constructive criticism. All of these things are, are things that we can too easily take for granted that, that a lot of people didn't have. And the business community has it, it's in, in the business community's own interest to support these efforts. You're in banking, and I think the knee jerk reaction to this 
is that it would be counterintuitive for someone in banking for all things. It would seem like banking would be one of the last industries that would welcome people with some sort of criminal record. Have, have you heard that? Yeah, and there are some meaningful and some reasonable and some unreasonable regulatory restrictions. So banks certainly are not going to go out and hire someone who robbed a bank or who committed financial fraud. But if someone 20 years ago um, had a drinking problem and hasn't had a drink in 15 years, but that drinking problem got them a criminal record, why should that preclude someone from employment today? So what's been happening in the industry, and I had the, um, uh, the privilege or the honor of uh, testifying on Capitol Hill a few months ago for uh, a subcommittee of the House Financial Services Committee talking about lowering these barriers. There's a lot of interest in making sure we're not overly restrictive. So financial crimes, absolutely, we, we can't hire and shouldn't hire because the safety and soundness and trust in financial institutions is so important. But there should be more exceptions and there, there should be a broader understanding of um, how a 30-year-old might have been a very different person at age 18, uh, for instance. And then banks have a, an advisory role to the business community. So a lot of what I have done uh, in this role, and I should add that the book, and that is a separate outside activity, I'm not speaking necessarily for my employer, these are my own views, um, but I have gone out with the support of the institution where I work and have uh, educated manufacturers and transportation companies about this opportunity, helping them solve their, their labor shortage needs. So there's a lot of ways that financial institutions can be involved. And some of that does include direct hiring. JP Morgan, for instance, the, the nation's largest bank, has been, uh, you know, I've been trained never say nothing, uh, say anything nice about a competitor, but I will say I have to recognize their good work here. They hired about 2,000 people with criminal records last year, and no one doubts their safety and soundness. Is there a role that regulatory or legislative reform can play in this? Uh, absolutely. One of the um, ways that government can play a role is, uh, first of all, as an employer. And, and have programs. So in Chicago, the Chicago Transit Authority has a really, really good second chance uh, program. It's a one-year internship, and many of their hires have come out of that. So they're an important employer, of course. But legislative reforms um, are important. And one of the ones that is starting to spread across the country is looking at people who've been convicted of low-level crimes, misdemeanors, and generally not misdemeanor repeat offenders. One, say, so one time or, or one or two, depending on the nature of the crime, um, offenders who have had been conviction free for years, having their, their records sealed so that they're not visible to the general public, they won't show up on a background check, they won't face any kind of employment discri discrimination, employers don't have to worry about any negligent hiring concerns because these aren't visible records, but it's not a compromising public safety because you are helping people become productive citizens that reduces recidivism. And law enforcement does have the ability to find these records and see these records should they need them. Those come under the category of what's been called clean slate legislation, automatic expungement for minor crimes after significant waiting periods. That's one of the several ways. And then reducing barriers to licensing. In many states, if you have a felony conviction, uh, you can't get a barber's license. Well, you know, if you murdered someone with scissors, I get it. But 
usually that doesn't apply. And so we have to be very careful about not putting excessive barriers in the way of professional licensing. If someone is listening to our conversation who has run into difficulties because of uh, a past conviction, what advice would you give them? The model that I recommend to employers is that employers should partner with nonprofits, workforce development nonprofits, re-entry, the process of, of leaving prison and re-entering society, re-entry nonprofits. And the reason for that is those nonprofit intermediaries are best equipped to say who is truly job ready. And they are become, in this model, effectively referral sources uh, to, uh, to employers. So if someone has a criminal record, has found it in the way, one of the things they should do is see if there's an opportunity to partner up with one of these nonprofits that has relationships with, with, with employers. They can also look at those job boards that are specialty, that, that are companies that are going to be friendly and open to fair consideration. Those are the ones that advertise on those two job boards. The big key is that uh, people have to demonstrate to employers that they are more than their worst moment, more than their worst mistake. And that is a challenge. And I'm very sympathetic to the challenge that's faced. That might include volunteering. It might include working with nonprofits. It might include a whole host of things that uh, getting furthering their education, getting trades, uh, vocational cert certificates, all of the sort of things that show that you are more than your worst moment. Jeff Korzenik is the author of Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business and the Community, and he spoke with us via Zoom. This is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Eureka Springs. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to today's show include Jacqueline Froelich and our militant grammarian, Catherine Sherolds. Thanks for listening. I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. And I'm Kyle Kellams. We're back tomorrow at noon and 7. Have a safe rest of your Tuesday. Music